BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two to talk about the Ravens offense against the Texans in this week one opener. Obviously, we got through a lot of the injury talk in the first half of the show uh, with our friend Jordan Coe from the from Ravens Situation Room. Jordan, how you doing? Good, Ken. Glad to be here. Always, always great to talk football with you. If you didn't download the podcast for the first one, go back and do that because it's some good stuff. It talked a lot about the scheme, a lot about Lamar's performance specifically, about the pressure applied by the Texans and how the Ravens dealt with it. We talked about some of the injuries in terms of how the Ravens uh, will have to deal with it going forward. Uh, and we talked about some of the possibility that the Ravens did not uh, open up their whole bag of tricks in this first game, which I think we, uh, we both agree on. Right, Jordan? Yeah, no, definitely. So I thought maybe we go ahead and talk about the offensive line now if we're ready. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be a challenging uh, segment. <laughs> not the not the greatest out of the gate performance. I mean, I, I think you know the interesting question that a lot of fans are talking about already, and you see a lot of chatter. And I think Harbaugh even responded to a bit of this as it related to the injuries was about approach to the offseason. And, you know, whether or not not playing in the preseason ultimately made a difference in this and or the injuries, uh, whether they're going to have to change that approach or not, what they think about all that. You know, where do you where do you land on that, Ken? It's I don't know that I'm willing to say after after one game, the, the performance was not so extreme in this game as people would make it out to be. I thought it was against a good Texans team. I think the Ravens you know, shot themselves in the foot a few times in the way offensively, not all the offensive lines fault. 
there was some things. Lamar did some things well in this game to run the offensive line out of some pressures, so they're not all recorded in terms of this. If you look at PFF scores, you can't believe how good they are in terms of the Ravens' offensive line, and I think that that's something I would take some issue with, that, that I, I think they're uh, graded a little high. Some of that's penalties uh, in, in this case, but the Ravens did a pretty good job of not allowing too many pressure events uh, from the offensive line. The Ravens, the, the, the Texans had some odd man rushes that they, they got in with. That's really not the offensive line's fault. Um, they had uh, some quarterback hits and sacks that were allowed that were the offensive line's fault. One that was not. Um, uh, so anyway, it was, it was a, it was a mix of things. And maybe we talked through by players rather than, than they'd get uh, all tied up in that, but three sacks, three quarterback hits and 20 yards and penalties is not a great place to start. Uh, and then they had four, another sack, of course, a fourth sack that was on that uh, silly uh, double kick fumble play that uh, ended up being a team sack for the Texans. I, I don't even know why it should be classified that way. I kind of thought it should have been a run fumble, but it, it, it was what it is. Maybe it, maybe it changes. Yeah. I, just as an aside, did you see the play in the Alabama Texas game the day before uh, where they snapped the ball? It was like fourth and one. They're trying to run the ball. They snapped it. The quarterback basically never gained possession of the snap, right? And it mm -hmm. slipped through his hands and squirts into the backfield. Everybody's in the pile, so no one really – no one can see what's happening, but the running back behind him realizes the ball's on the ground next to him and smartly picks it up and, and runs it for a first down. They're having a very interesting discussion as to whether or not the, the quarterback had to have possession of the ball for it to be – like for it whether or not it was a fumble or just like a live ball at large, right? Um, and so I thought as soon as the quarterback touches the ball with his hands, right, like that initiates a fumble, but the official said that because he didn't gain possession of it as the quarterback, the running back could recover it as not a fumble and he could advance it forward. If it was a fumble, it was a fourth down of the last two minutes then. Yeah, it was, a, it was on a, I guess it's, that's a rule all the time in college uh -huh. football. Um, hmm. and so they said that he could advance and the initial ruling was that he couldn't advance it cause it wasn't his fumble. Um, so it's very interesting because. So, I, I mean, similar concept. So I only bring this up situationally in the sense that how is it a sack when no player from the Texans touched any player from the Ravens in the backfield? Yeah. Like, how, how is that a sack? Yeah. And so, the ball was recovered on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Yes. <laughs> it it, it didn't make a lot of sense. I would have said, you know, aborted snap if if Jackson never had possession. But whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just it's a, just a categorization of the result there. In, in point of fact, I thought Lamar – it's Lamar's fault, but we had this discussion the first part of the show, so we won't we won't review this. Just it's Lamar's fault either way. I just think yeah. Hill knocked it out of his hands. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Ronnie Stanley to start this. Obviously, you know the injury is terrible, and and we don't know where this is going to exactly ride out. Week to week is the worst possible designation from Harbaugh in a sense because uh, it means he will be out four weeks. I don't know how many. But uh, but he won't play in in week two. Uh, the Ravens are stuck with McCary at left tackle. That's not an ideal situation, even though he's the guy they went to the season riding as their backup left tackle. Um, but Stanley was honestly having a very difficult game before he was hurt. Uh, he was getting beat by Grenard on one play where he illegally used his hands and negated a six yard completion. He had a false start. He had a sack shared four different ways. And I've looked at this about. I would say conservatively 10 times now in terms of how this pocket compressed. It's one of the most ugly, multiply uh, compressed pockets you'll ever see. And I ended up just giving the, giving the uh, sack away split evenly four ways between everybody. I think it's everybody, everybody except Zeitler. 
who really betrayed the space in the pocket there. Now, I've I, I, gone back and forth this, whether it ought to be minus three points for Stanley, giving him half the thing and, and a sixth to each of the other three. But I know no matter how I would slice it, there would be there would be four parts of the sack given out. Yeah, I, I mean, we we certainly saw a guy that struggled in this game. And I think that's why I initially asked that question about preseason play, where it's like, do we – and Stanley's a guy that it sounds like wasn't practicing every day in training camp. Oh, no, you know, obviously, not you know, in pads at all. Yeah, limited to begin with. So it's like, you know, and, and the injury – and let me just say this also. The NFL needs to get rid of these players rolling on, around on the ground, on the defensive side, once they've been taken out of the play. Because – that is nearly, in my opinion, what happened to both Stanley and Linderbaum. And mm-hmm. I understand why they're coached up to do this. And you're you're just trying to take up space and you're trying to take away gaps. But there have to be more injuries that we have seen from defensive players that are on the ground rolling and moving around once they've already essentially been taken out of the play, taking out guys' knees, ankles, etc. on the regular. It's not good for the NFL. It's not good for business. It's not good for anybody. Um, I, I'd love to see them finding some way to get that out of the game. Cause I think that's what happened here. Uh, but whether or not it's just, you know, is this rust that we were getting from Stanley in his performance? Is it, was it going to tighten up and sharpen up? I mean, now that he's on an injury, if we do think it's rust, I mean, we're going to see the same thing for the first two or three games. We think when he comes back in the exact same way, then, right. It could, I, it, it certainly could be. I, I don't know if I can completely blame it on rust based on what we saw. I mean, he got beat beat by Grenard for the this whatever, half a sack or a fourth of a sack, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he gave up a full QH to Dylan Horton. That's not a big name in terms of a pass rusher. He didn't get any of Will Anderson in this game. Will Anderson wasn't on his side. Um, or if he did, it wasn't much anyway. Uh, missed four blocks, uh, five blocks in level two. By the way, that is one of the small positives I pull out of this game for Stanley. I don't know if we can still draw positive from the mobility, given the fact that he's now hurt, but the fact that he got out in a level two and made five blocks, something he was not doing very much of last season. He had a lot of trouble getting into level two and contributing on run plays. Uh, he was two out of three on pulls. He did have a highlight in the game, uh, a D overall. He would have had an F before adjustment, but he's, but he, he just slipped up into the D range. Honestly, uh, I, there's very little I can pull positively from this, this game for Ronnie, other than, uh, thank thank goodness it doesn't sound like the like the injury is season ending. And it does, you know. The other thing I'd say about the performance here was it felt like the Texans like that kind of wide nine, wide stretch approach. Mm-hmm. We saw that regularly. You know, whether or not you're you're ready for the season or warmed up for it, that's something that you're not. That you know, well, I don't recall the Texans quite playing that style before this. So were the Ravens maybe not ready for it? I mean, that's how the Niners played under Ryan. So there'd be no expectation that they should have been caught off guard in that, in that sense. Um, but maybe that was part of it too. Um, also thought schematically, you and I talked about this in the last episode that the, the schematic approach of how they wanted to attack them was smart. Maybe they had something that they, they, they thought they saw from last year on Stanley that was out there. So, um, you, you hope that those pull, you know, you know, mobility and he gets back um, uh, were, was an optimistic sign that was just a bad game and was rusty. Uh, but it's just uh, Ronnie Stanley's going to, I think going to be a question mark for every Ravens fan in every game he plays for the remainder of his career without any expectation of what they think he's going to look like moving forward. 
that's a that's a you know grim proposition but i don't disagree with it unfortunately i think we, we're we're at a point where uh you know honestly any stat might be his last with the ravens and uh if if he were to if he were to not be able to come back next year i believe there might be an eight million dollar cap savings for next year if they cut him which isn't much it's not enough to go out and get a new left tackle obviously but on the other hand if they if they don't have a guy who could perform they may just say uh, we have to we have to cut bait at this point. Yeah, it's in twenty four. If they cut him next year, uh, it's it's eight point three million of uh, of savings against the cap. So I think he's playing for his professional career when he comes back this year. Would be my my first guess about it. Well, the only thing that would change anybody's opinion of that would be regular practice time, like more more endurance of, of whatever he's going got going on. And look, you know, I, we don't know what kind of pain he's in. We don't know sure. what the residual is of what he's got going on. I think a lot of the issues for him is, is pain management related. Um, and so you, you just got to figure out what the balance of all that looks like and whether he can play through it. Now, obviously you're going to get performances like this, then, then it's, it's not worth it for anybody, the Ravens or Ronnie Stanley to wait it out past that. And I, I, I want to take my, take my, Take any thoughts that I understand exactly what he's going through from from a pain management perspective. I want I want to I want out of that conversation. I'll just say he needs to prove his endurance on the field. Period. He needs to be able to stay on the field for more snaps, whatever that means. Whether he's playing through pain, whether he's avoiding new injuries, whatever it might be, um, he, he needs to be on the field for more snaps to have real value to the Ravens next year. And I think that's where we are right now. I think you know it's real unfortunate. J.K. Dobbins was in the exact same position at the start of the season. And, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing for him to get injured. You know, when everything is on the line for him this year, I feel for the guy. I, you know, I really, it's a, it's a horrible situation. Um, it's, it's also one the Ravens need to avoid, you know, to the degree they can holding a contract on a player who who might be hurt uh, at some point during the season and, and having that be a large part of their investment. The, 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 the reason why they might not pull the trigger next year and and have start their search for a new left tackle right away. It's just it's a mountain to climb. You know, you need a ton of draft capital to get a really good left tackle. We have to very get very good lucky with a developmental left tackle, which is usually going to take more than one year anyway. Daniel Falele was supposed to be that guy. I don't think we have any. I think we've been disabused of any notion that he might end up at left tackle for the Ravens. But there are guys, you know, that, that you can get in later rounds. Uh, uh, that that. that may be a, a, a two-year option that may get there in year two. But uh, anyway, uh, Ravens are going to have to go through that. It's going to have to be one of the big decisions for this offseason is is what they do with Ronnie. Yeah, and a, and a post-June 1 cap to cut, too, would generate a lot more Yeah, a lot yeah. more space. So, you know, that's that's potentially on the table, too. But I totally agree. Post-June 1, of course, that all that does is push more money into 25, which is something right. they'll be doing anyway. Um, but you're right. It, it would it would generate more more room. Let's move on and talk about Simpson. Um, uh, got a terrific grade from PFF. I didn't really see it that way. Uh, a decent but unspectacular first start, I thought. He played very well in the preseason. I got used to a very high standard of play. He's one of those Ravens who's been very effective, whether it's zone or power, uh, being good at either. In this game, he was on the – on the ground a lot. And that's something you don't like to see from offensive linemen uh, not being able to keep their feet. And there was one particular reason for this. So he gave up a quarter of that early sack um, that, that, that went, could have gone more than, more than a quarter to Stanley. 
I, I want to go back to that sack for just a second. The, the, the quarter sack to Stanley, by the way, which could have been a half. If this had been a normal year with Lamar and there, or if the, it just had been a normal play where there was no other pressure on the play compressing the pocket, that's the kind of bump pressure that Stanley has allowed a fair amount that Lamar's very good at getting through. I mean, one thing that Stanley did exceptionally well on the play was keep himself interposed between the defender and Lamar. And so Lamar takes a slight bump in the rear end or he feels it coming. He can go. Well, Lamar, in that case, he's in a freaking phone booth. There's nowhere for him to go. Uh, because of all this other pressure. And that's kind of why I, I thought it should be a um, a four-way share. Simpson got a piece anyway. Uh, he did get a QH also where he's beaten inside by Malik Collins. Malik Collins is number 96 if you want to go back and look at the game. One thing he did uh, that he put himself on the ground three times for was a push-pull move from Malik Collins where he would start pushing on him and, and um, he'd get out in front of his feet and Collins would just throw him to the ground basically and, and move by him. That was... Uh, you know, a recurring theme of this game. That's a classic Chris Jones. I mean, it's a classic move you see in the NFL, but Chris Jones yeah. might do it best of anybody. So, um, I mean, again, you know, you, you wonder how much of this is approached and thoughtfulness by uh, the Texans coaching um, and whether or not they had isolated some of these things specifically for some of these guys and were, were attacking them uh, in intentional and thoughtful ways. And that's how, that's how they were getting the pressure or, or whether they were just bad. It's, it's so early and so rusty and so so many factors, it's hard to say. But, you know, it was good to see Simpson not be a complete flop, um, you know, overall is, is kind of where I land in, in all of this. Yeah, there are definitely some positives from Simpson in this game. The eight missed blocks were the, really the bad thing. He's five of eight on pulls. That's not so great. He looked a step slow pulling to me uh, here. He looked much better during the preseason, I thought, in that way. Two level two blocks, one pancake. Uh, one highlight, and I'm forgetting what his highlight was, but I'm not going to try and find it on my score sheet here. It looks like, oh, it was a nice pass off of a block and then a help block. That's really nice, by the way. So he passed off Collins inside, and then he went out to help Stanley, and Stanley was really needing the help in this game. Uh, but I, I, first of all, you like to see inside-out processing, but I want a guard that's highly focused on help blocks, and Simpson had several of those in this game, so, so that was nice to see. Uh, C overall for him for the game. So not an ideal uh, game. He can do better. He has done better in the preseason. Very happy. No penalties. Always a game that Simpson gets through without a penalty is a good one. So, uh, uh, you know, 17 penalties and 1,545 snaps in in, uh, Las Vegas. So uh, that at least is a good thing. It certainly seems like, or feels like you'd say that he's, he's, Locked in this this guard position at least for right now. Oh, he's, he's unthreatened. He's he's running unopposed at this point. Salah <laughs> is not ready to be on a uh, yes, on a no. National Football League field, uh, and I don't know who else they would bring in there. Obviously, McCarry is needed now at left tackle, so he's not available. So it would be Ben Cleveland, and I don't think they have the trust, uh, let alone the 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 uh, Cassis Belli to move on from um, uh, from Simpson at this point. Uh, okay, Linderbaum is the next fine mobility game by the way prior to his injury which is unfortunate that we have to talk about that he was the best lineman as i scored it uh had a share of one pressure he had a, another quarter of that sack he was getting beat uh back into the pocket in a similar way he had four missed blocks but only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage so twice he moved into level two and didn't make a block another time uh he missed a, a, on a level two block so uh you know honestly pretty good game from that perspective in terms of of mobility uh, he did have two pancakes in the game. It's nice to see him play with some real strength. The snaps were solid. B overall, uh, pretty happy with his play. Uh, 
wish him to be healthy as uh, as soon as possible, certainly. And honestly, my belief is that Mustafer is is going to be pretty good in his stead. We'll see how this works out. But Mustafer is a very large man, kind of short armed, a uh, little bit longer than Linderbaum, but but he weighs about three hundred and thirty pounds at center. And I, it'll be interesting to see how the Ravens make use of that, uh, and and if he can you know do the things he needs to do as a as a pass blocker at that size. Uh, we probably will see some attempts to exploit that left a gap even more uh, with Mustafer on the field instead of Linderbaum. Yeah, I mean, this is this injury feels like it, it potentially, you know, hopefully it doesn't seem like it's too bad. A sprained ankle with in the short term scheme of things uh, is not ideal. But in the long term, shouldn't it be a lingering thing for him? Um, obviously, you don't want to see any kind of ACLs or big structural issues with his with these guys knees or anything. So, you know, hopefully it's it's just one of those. And this guy comes back. I mean, especially if we're looking at a, a rating that you've you've had. But it sounds like you've got a lot of confidence in, in Mustafa to be able to fill in behind him here. Yeah, I, I I do. I think he played very well in the preseason. It was against some lesser players, but he also got the starting snaps at center. Where, for instance, in the Tampa game, he was facing Vita Vea, and and he, he what starters the Ravens did face in the preseason, Mustafer got those snaps. So Simpson got those snaps as well. So you know you have as much confidence as you can based on the context you have to work with. Yeah, I, I mean, and we. Saw the full game from Leonard Baum. I mean, did you see anything from him that I know you've always had concerns about his pass block ability, his arm length, his ability to kind of need to be the guy that's being helped instead of be the helper. You know, was any of that popping on tape for you? You know, I, it's it is a limited sample size in this game where there's only 26 pass plays in total. And I don't remember how many times I'm going to look at it real quickly. Mustafer was involved in two pass plays at the end. So there's only 24 with Linderbaum in there at the start. And he gives up a pressure and a quarter of a sack. Well, that's it doesn't jump out as being particularly good right there. That's that's some points off the board, but uh, you know it, it's it's also a small sample size. I'm, I'm not any more concerned about it than I was before. Move on to Zeitler. Yeah, let's talk about Zeitler. I mean, uh, it, it seems like you weren't terribly high on any of these guys from this game, huh? <laughs> no, nobody played particularly well. Linderbaum was the best, and nobody played really particularly well. It would be the fair way to state it. Uh, Zeitler. A lot of straight up bull sack to, and it, it was a, a <laughs> bull by bull rush is what I mean in this case, but it would apply the other way too. Uh, sack to Hinnish, uh, who is not a big name. You know, Hinnish and Horton having sacks in this game or having uh, you know contributions to pressures in this game is not a good thing. But uh, Zeitler, there's no one else to blame on that play, even though somebody else did get the sack on the play. But basically, Lamar had to spin out of the pocket, try to avoid traffic, and he got tripped up by Harris on that play. Uh, before he could he could uh, get free of the melee there. Uh, there's one other pressure he allowed. Uh, Lamar also ran him out of a pressure, which was something that happened a couple times with Moses as well. That uh, you know he he benefited in terms of his score with me in terms of of, of getting away from a pressure that way. Uh, I marked his his uh, subjective element down a little bit for the pressure he got run out of, but I also marked it up for the for the fact that he got the fumble recovery, uh, which was good. And it's textbook kind of curl up on the football in the fetal position uh, way that they always teach. They they actually have that drill. It was a, it's a fetal fumble drill, I guess they might call it. But Five missed blocks for Zeitler. Three of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. That's never good, but uh, but anyway, it, it could be worse. One out of two on poles, two blocks in level two, two pancakes, one highlight. Highlight was the fumble recovery. C overall for the game. We've seen worse games, but the other thing about offensive line play is 
I, I encourage people not to be too concerned about any individual game performance because both based on scheme and just the normal variation in results, um, you'll see grades that are all over the place. And the, the grades I really look for players to avoid are fall off the table Fs when they score, you know, the, the minimum score for a tackle say is 60 and they end up scoring 37 or something, or, or, or in some cases, 10, you know, then you've got really something to worry about. There's enough evidence there that, that you've really got a problem. But if they score 59 or 58 and they're just they're close to passing and I, I chalk up some of the variation, I look at the opponent, I try and figure out what it might be, and I, I don't get too concerned about it uh, until it's been a couple of games at that level. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess the big question is the same for all these guys. You know, are you, how worried you are as we head into the Cincinnati game about is this, you know, and, and maybe this is some of what you were just saying, is this re residual performance issue or is this just a little bit of rust and they're going to be fine moving forward? Or, I mean, it, it sounds mostly like wait and see is what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. I, I think that's the fairest answer is I really don't know yet. I, I really don't know. I don't know if Mustafer is going to be an adequate replacement for Linderbaum. I think he might be, I think he might be 80% of what Tyler Linderbaum is at center. I think he gives you some some additional things. I think he, he we certainly lose a lot in terms of mobility at, at, at center, but I think he might be 80% of the player. I don't think uh, McCary, I, I would not expect him to be 80% of the left tackle Ronnie Stanley should be. Do I expect him to be 80% of the of the left left tackle Ronnie Stanley was in this game? I hope so, because Ronnie Stanley wasn't very good this game. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, I'd hope he'd be better than that. Um, but Ronnie Stanley had a had a game basically that falls at the replacement level. And it's hard for me to 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 uh, uh, not expect more out of a carry, you know, against Cincinnati, for example. So what did yeah? So what did you see from Morgan Moses then? Not a great game for him. He was facing Will Anderson, who looks like one hell of a football player, is all I'll say. A lot of problems that he had in terms of not being able to dislodge the football. I think those are going to go away pretty quickly in the NFL. I think he's going to figure out how to use his club, be very well coached. All of the physical attributes are there. The guy is too quick and too big and gets too low, has too much bend uh, to, to be effectively or easily blocked. Uh, and a player like Moses, who has legitimate you know, limitations as, as a right tackle in terms of his pass blocking, uh, has expected, as expected, a lot of difficulty. And it's why we wouldn't see Moses moving to left tackle to replace Stanley, even though he may be gone for multiple weeks here. Uh, your, what are your thoughts on Will Anderson? Oh, I, 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 I couldn't be more impressed with two things about Will Anderson. One, all the things that you just talked about and his physical performance as a rookie. But two, how effective the Texans were schematically in using him. They would isolate him as being the only rusher. They would put him at, on the end with three rushers. They would use decoy rushers around him. He really was the focal point of schematically what they were trying to do as a pass rush. Um, and I think that the Ravens weren't quite ready for them for him to be I, I think that their expectation might have been that he was going to be very good but he wasn't going to be already the focal point and i think they got a caught a little bit off guard because of that and i think that that cascaded its way down the rest of the line in terms of what their approach was i think once they started to adjust to that a bit it did get cleaned up a little um and so that that bodes well for you know what we're gonna be looking at you know from a guy like hendrickson in, in cincinnati who is quite frankly, not nearly as good of a player as Will Anderson. And that is that is not to say anything bad about Hendrickson. Right. And exclusively to talk about how good, to answer your question, I thought Will Anderson looked. Just yeah, maybe not worth the draft pick that they gave up because they're going to be a bad team. And I really, 
just really makes you wonder when teams do that. But then again, when you hit on a generational pass rush talent like this, the downstream impact of what that does for a team for a long, long time, uh, I would give up the ne- the Ravens three first round picks for the player that we saw from Will Anderson yesterday. Ooh, well, you might need him to get the left tackle, <laughs> so <laughs> you can't you can't trade them. <laughs> but I, uh, I just I mean, how long has it, I mean? And Gabe and I were talking about this over the weekend watching the Ravens game. It's been a while. I mean, it's basically been since. Since Terrell Suggs has played for this team, that the Ravens had a truly multifaceted, like generational end level player and impact player on the team. I mean, if you're talking about how long has it been since they've had a Hall of Famer like Suggs on the team, yeah, well, I agree. It's been since they had Suggs. If you're talking about, if you're talking about, you know, how they, they haven't, there's not been another, you know, guy like that who's a generational talent that's been been on the team. They, but they, you know, when they had Michael McCrary, he was very special, and when they had Peter Bulware, he was very special, and when they had, uh, you know, Elvis Dumerville, he was very special with. But all those, all those guys were during or before. So, I, I and the Ravens haven't even seen anyone at McCrary, Bulware, or Dumerville's level really consistently. No. Matthew Judon, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And and certainly for what he's done since he left. So maybe it's something that the Ravens are doing and how they're trying to utilize it in terms of, of, right. of scheme. But, you know, a guy like Will Anderson can wreck games. And 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 we saw him almost do it in this game. You know, yep. the, the Ravens were just lucky that the talent gap between them and Houston was just so wide. But that I think he's going to have a really, really terrorizing career ahead of him for quarterbacks <laughs> it, it looks like he's he's the real deal he, he's he already looks if i had to you know project his career and i don't think this is a real knock on the current raven Jadavian Clowney, who was number one overall but it, he looks already from one game like he's likely to have a better career than Clowney. i would totally agree yeah i i i will say it's a, he's also a cautionary tale guys for for people you think are the top guys and aiden hutchinson did end up being a good player at least it looks like he's going to end up being a good player from the 22 draft but ajabo is a guy that a lot of people project backwards and said well they got him at 45 but he would have been a top five pick well no he wouldn't have been a top five pick he might have been picked around 15th in that draft if if he had been uh healthy and 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 maybe would have gotten picked at ninth or tenth but he, you know, the Ravens got him because uh, he fell due to injury, and I think we're seeing some of the developmental issues um, that's caused, even with the sack fumble in this game. And there's no way I can project growth on his career that would be anything like Will Anderson. I mean, they're they're, they're two different leagues of player. Yeah, no, exactly. And if you look at the other, I mean, you look at the other ends or rushing players taken in this draft right after. Um, Will Anderson. It was Tyree Wilson who went mm-hmm. to the Las Vegas Raiders. It was Luke Van Ness. And I know Van Ness had a sack. Will McDonald looked pretty good in the Jets game, but none of them looked like Will Anderson. Um, yep. And to be able to, to just be able to see that kind of performance from one guy in one game coming right out of the gate on the road, it, I, I think it just says a lot about what he's going to be as a player. Yeah. Well, very impressive. No doubt about it. Moses had a lot of trouble with him. Uh, he had a pressure shared with Linderbaum. A quarterback hit where he failed to pick up an outside rush from Hughes. Jerry Hughes is still playing in this league. That kind of surprised me a little bit, but uh, he failed to pick up him. 1.25 sacks. Uh, Anderson, I think Anderson might have been all of that, but he definitely was the one of the 1.25. The, the other one was the quarter sack play that was shared four ways. Lamar ran him out of two other pressures, from one from Anderson, one from Hughes. So that was a big thing for Moses. He's He really scored a little bit higher than he should have. In fact, he was really on that DF line for me 
um, uh, in terms of his game in this, he's playing this one. Had a false start, five missed blocks. Every single one of those are lost at the line of scrimmage. That's a reason for concern, folks. A lot of lost blocks at the line of scrimmage can become worse problems in the future. Um, and then include two pressures where he got run out of. They, they just end up being zeros uh, because I want those pressures to match up with the total uh, effective pressures that, that Lamar had on pass plays. But, uh, you know, other systems would score it differently, and I would respect that. Um, Moses uh, had, let's see, well, there is one positive I want to talk about. Two level two blocks, one pancake, five for five on poles. He did have one freebie as the trailer. So when he's trailing on a two-man play and he – fails to pick up a block, he's not required to do one. Moses was incredible last year at finding somebody no matter what on the back end of these two-man counter plays. And he was very good in this game. And when he hits someone, they go flying. Or he takes them for a ride. Um, but anyway, he was very effective at that. And I, I, it was a nice corroboration of the mobility we saw from him in 2022. Uh, D after adjustment for him, he finished with a 58-59 score and, and uh, got moved up to a 62 primarily for facing Anderson, but he should also get a little bit of a downgrade for um, missing the uh, uh, getting, not getting those pressures credited against him when Lamar ran him out of it. Do you think Moses is at any risk of losing his spot? I think it would take a lot. I think it would take consistently, you know, if, if he had four games like this in a row, I think you, you have to start thinking about, Oh boy, do we need to try somebody different at right tackle? And Falele and Cleveland are the two guys. Does, does either one of those really strike you as somebody the Ravens are going to be ready to pull the trigger on? Definitely. I mean, certainly doesn't feel like the Ravens have won anything to do with Ben Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they might need him at left guard if anything goes wrong there. They may need him at either guard spot. Um, because McCary is used now. Mustafer is used now. So they're out of interior options if there's a if there's an injury anywhere else. Yeah. It certainly seemed like Ben Cleveland was a guy that the Ravens, if they didn't have to have him on the roster and they could have found some way to get him off the roster by a trade or for some other value, it was going to happen this year. So uh um it, you know, I think Moses is interesting to watch though, because if he if he's if Falele is somebody that they think can come in and contribute and be more athletic and they feel like that's what they need, um, you know, Moses is, is not far from the cutting block when you kind of look at what the cap numbers look like for next year. Oh, um, for next year. Is that what you're asking or for you're talking about for this? No, no, year? I'm talking about for this year. But but the, the idea that if you see a couple performances like we did with this one again, so like maybe Will Anderson is not as good as we thought because Morgan Moses is actually done. Um, and you know, he's going to come up against some tough competition here over the next few weeks. We already talked about this a little bit. Um, TJ Watt. But, yeah. Yeah. TJ Watt is coming. Um, Hendrickson is on the board here. Um, Miles Garrett slash who's uh, Zedaria Smith, like whoever. And they move those guys around. Um, if you've decided that Moses is done and you're ready to move on and you're going to cut him for cut him next year anyway, you know, is that a spot that you turn over to Flaley sooner rather than later to get him those reps um, and get him to start to be worked in? I think I think you got to – it's all about 2023 in terms of, of where they think they are in terms of the playoffs and moving on. I mean, if the Ravens were 6-8 six and six and you know eight and basically in a lot of trouble in terms of their playoff position, I think they'd probably throw in the towel and, and then all things are on the table in terms of how you might play there. 6-8 and eight probably wouldn't even be bad enough to do it. 5-9. and nine. 
you know, then I think everything's on the table in terms of how they change their personnel and look towards next year and maybe even think about getting a little bit better draft pick out of the arrangement too, given that they, they, they might need to improve at left tackle, improve their draft pick to, to get a left tackle. Um, I think, I think everything's on the table at that point. I, I, I seriously hope the Ravens do not find themselves in that spot because 2024 already looks like a pretty bad dump year to me in terms of how bad they, they've messed up the cap and how bad, how much of a free agent pig in the python they have going through at the end of this year? Because they have a ton of talent leaving in free agency, and just no obvious way to replace it. Yeah, it'll it'll be certainly interesting to see, and hopefully, we start to see a better performance overall here from Morgan Moses. All right, well, let's get to the show where we talk about individual players and some of the skill position performances. And this is usually the thing we say for last that people want to hear about. So we kept you through and, and uh, glad you're still with us. But Jordan, you're the guest. Uh, take us through a, a single player you'd like to talk about first. Yeah, let's talk about Rashad Bateman. Um, limited snaps, about half the number of snaps that you were looking at for Flowers and, and Beckham. Uh, really, I thought really effective when he was in. Um, I think the Ravens are taking it a bit slow as it relates to injuries for him. But um, you saw him hit a chip block on one of the plays, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. That was like a little nice schematic tweak. But then was getting open and had a couple big catches from Lamar. Um, I think is a guy that even though wasn't the one that kind of all the focus is on Zay Flowers, don't sleep on Rashad Bateman and this team and what his role might look like being the second or third guy. And then, and then once the attention, I think the Ravens were, we've talked about what the Ravens put on tape or didn't put on tape earlier in the show, I think they clearly put Zay Flowers on tape. I think that they, I think the goal next week is to have Cincinnati overcommit to Zay Flowers and to burn them on it. Um, and and that was, or or they don't, or Cincinnati doesn't overreact and they just keep feeding Zay Flowers, which I'd also be fine with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the Ravens wanted Cincinnati to have no second guessing of themselves about what Zay Flowers' role was going to be. Um, as that increases and as that becomes part of what the approach needs to look like, I think Rashad Bateman, from what we saw, if he can stay healthy, has a really nice role to carve out for himself here moving forward. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I thought it was a good game for Bateman in multiple ways. First of all, the 25 snaps I, I'm not really concerned about right now. I, I would seriously hope that the flower snaps stay roughly where they were. He had 54 out of 64, I think. The Beckham snaps are reduced because he was a 59 out of 64, and Bateman picks up some of that as the regular X receiver. I think that would be the plan. I think you know keeping Odell Beckham uh, fresh makes sense. Aguilar did not. Aguilar got a fair amount of snaps in this game, but he didn't get a 24. Only one less than Bateman, but I don't believe he was targeted, was he? Or if he was, it was one I don't incomplete. Think so. so let's take a quick look here. No, Aguilar was not tar- targeted. So, uh, you know, basically they, they, is the three receivers had 16 of the 21 targets. I know he threw 22 passes. Um, Dobbins had three then, likely, and Kolar one each. So very wide receiver heavy thing. And that is one of the things that, that I want to talk about with my next player. I'll take likely and Kolar together since I don't think there's enough to discuss on, on either of them. Tight ends are out of the ballgame. They're out of the game plan in this. And, and part of it is if you, if you watch camp practice – Lamar just keys on Andrews so much. And this was almost a game where it was it was kind of nice to have no Andrews around so Lamar could build some trust with Bateman, Beckham, and Flowers. Now, there's no I don't think there's any question about having uh, having trust with Flowers, who he's already practiced with a lot. He's the most dangerous receiver on the team by far. 
the trust with Beckham, uh, uh, sorry, with Beckham was well <laughs> built in the off season by them practicing together, which was which was nice. And I th- in, in camp, he threw he threw to him a lot. The trust with Bateman it has to be rebuilt because Bateman's been hurt, but he was a hell of a receiver last year. And I thought one of the really nice plays in this game was the throw across the field where Bateman bailed him out of a potentially very dangerous throw by moving to the ball and catching it. I thought great trust points for Bateman on that one in particular. Yeah, I, well, and I think the Ravens are going to move the pocket a lot this year. I think we're going to see receivers. I think defense is being moved by Lamar and having to take opportunities to potentially throw behind them. I, I totally agree. I also thought for the limited amount that we saw, Isaiah likely looked less, far less shifty and explosive than we've seen on that first play of the game. That was a, that was a play last year. And in the preseason from what we've seen from him, that he, he either jumps over in this instance, jumps over the guy because he came in and just hit him low or at least tries to put a move on him. And we didn't even see that from likely. So I, I don't know if he's nursing something or isn't completely healthy. Um, but I also wonder if they weren't part of the game, A, because they don't trust Kolar and he's working his way up, but B, something's up with likely because that play in particular just struck me very much not like him from what we've seen from him through all of last year. Just without taking a look, and you may be looking right at a snap count list there, but how many how many snaps do you think likely was on the field? I would say 15 to 20. 15 to 20. And based yeah, on, on how often he was targeted, you'd be exactly right. 46 snaps he played. Good Lord. 46 of 64 snaps, and he's that uninvolved in the offense. It just it, it boggles the mind. Kolar played only 13 snaps. And you know, likely had one four-yard throw. It was a, a big nothing. Um, and, and Kolar had – and by the way, the throws that likely has gotten in the preseason haven't been much either. Last year he was the, you know, the breakout star of the preseason. This year he's – been getting a bunch of short throws and been getting killed, frankly, after the catch um, with the football. Kolar, same thing. He's been getting killed after the catch, but I thought he'd build up some trust points, and then he drops his first pass here, of course, in the in the uh, in the regular season. That that cost him, and he, and he only ended up playing you know thirteen snaps. I, I the the tight end was out of the offense here, and I you know as much as it's value that they built trust with the wide receivers. It also is a little concerning that they haven't built up any kind of a meaningful play action game. So maybe we see that against the Bengals in week two and, and some opportunities taken between level two and level three to the tight end specifically. Yeah. And, and Andrews obviously makes all the difference in the world, but when, when it comes down to that, <laughs> I mean, so I'll take the guy on the other side of that. And I don't, again, I don't have snap counts in front of me. So I'll um, tell you. Yeah. You're, you're definitely going to tell me. And, and it's Pat Ricard who uh, again, seemed like he had less of a role in the first half had a much bigger role in the second half. I think some of that was pass protection. I think some of that was being a little bit more intentional running the ball, but maybe I don't have that right. (laughs) 28 snaps. I I don't have them split by half here. So 28 snaps. Uh, He did definitely have a bigger role as the game moved on. Uh, I think he was also used as an inline blocking tight end where uh, either Andrews or likely might have been that guy under a normal circumstance, but they wanted to use likely more as a flex tight end and they wanted to use you know, Kolar for whatever, when they had him in there, which wasn't very much. Um, but they used Ricard more as an inline tight end in this game. And and he was he was moved around. I, one thing that I kind of don't have an exact handle on is Lamar was moving personnel pre-snap a fair amount. Lamar was actually signaling, no, you go over here. No, you go over here. It was It's kind of nice to see that. I can't say that we saw a lot of effectiveness come directly from that. But it was nice to see Lamar having the 
um, stones to really move people around uh, pre-snap and get the get the get it set up the way he wants it and he's comfortable with. Yeah, I agree. It didn't it did we did, we didn't see any kind of like real like uh, ends to to those means so to speak mm-hmm. um, in terms of what it had. It was nice to see. You know, it felt like the. I don't want to say it didn't feel like the Ravens weren't being intentional. And I do think that once they got into the second half and they started attacking the second third of the kind of outside throws with Lamar and they, and they were bending the defense by keeping guys in the flats um, and either running guys up behind them or creating space there or keeping guys in with Lamar to give him those windows. It almost felt like the Ravens weren't being terribly intentional in this game in any way at all whatsoever. And you certainly don't want to say that a team is not coming into a game without a game plan. Um, But you also, I mean, I can distinctly like think about whenever Kansas city is playing the Ravens. There is a single play that Malik Harrison is on the field and they are in a passing (laughs) formation. They find a way to get Travis Kelsey on Malik Harrison and abuse it. Right. Like there was, the Ravens didn't feel like they had that kind of thing. Like when, Oh, when, Houston moves a whole bunch of guys into the box. Now we do this, right? When so-and-so is matched up on so-and-so, we're going to be trying to attack them. Where it just it felt diversified. Um, and so that might not be a bad thing. Um, but I would still like the this team, you know, and, and for better or for worse, Greg Roman was very intentional about what he was trying to do. Using motion with running, mm-hmm. using a bunch of different run schemes and attacking at, we as fans have a much harder time seeing the matchups in the trenches like that, but there were clearly things the Ravens were consistently going after and changing it from week to week. I hope that we start to see some of that develop with Lamar in the passing game. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's fair. And I think a lot of that is on Monken. If this, if his spacing doesn't end up in results because Lamar can't be the structured quarterback or can't, can't have first and second reads designated for him. That's a problem, and it, it's going to end up getting Monken fired because Lamar cannot be fired. You can't, you can't, <laughs> can't fire your star quarterback who you've just given all the guaranteed money to. You, you, you have to get rid of Monken if, for whatever reason, this doesn't work out this year. Um, I don't know what the what the leash is like for Monken either. I mean, obviously, the the uh, uh, things are always there's a honeymoon period. I think they're probably still in it in terms of Lamar being happy, but you know, you look through the way Joe Flacco chewed through offensive coordinators and there were some bad, bad offensive coordinators in there with the exception of Kubiak, but there were also some guys who could have maybe worked out. Um, and, and Flacco just had kind of a short fuse, I believe for, for offensive coordinators as they, as they move through. So, um, you know, interesting, it, it's an interesting situation. It's, you know, it's Munkin was kind of the right candidate for this job, you know, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, pedigree for success at the college level, uh, had had NFL experience is good, understands the NFL game. Its basic philosophy is extremely interview friendly. You know, it's easy for him to concisely describe what he wants to get out of an offense. And he's also the right age for this. You know, he's whatever he is, 58 to 60 years old. I don't know his exact age, but this is going to be his last job, probably. And good, good chance on your last job to go and, 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 you know, he might go back to the college ranks. I'll say this is probably his last pro job. And and certainly not a guy that is gunning from. For not the head coaching a guy. Job. Yeah, exactly. That, that's yep. like working his way up the chain. Yep. I, I so I, that's that. still what I want. I still, I still want 
if this weren't to work out for whatever reason, I, I, I don't care if they're here for one year, somebody that's bringing in a, a fresh system and a completely fresh approach. still what I want. <laughs> yeah, I and, and they, they got that with McDonald. <laughs> they got that with yeah. McDonald, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, yeah. and, and so, you know, they, they could get that. They have other defensive coordinators they could turn to. You get, you'd have to look at the, you know, the prospects for minority hiring. You got to think very carefully about, about is there any way we can get a minority coach in because that potentially has draft pick value. If you, if you get the really top ones, uh, you know, you've, you've got to think about all those possibilities. I, I think the big prospect now for third round draft picks is Anthony Weaver though. I think he's going to be a head coach and um, I'm just sure of it. I hope he, he makes that jump from the Ravens. He doesn't move into another defensive coordinator position first. Yeah, agreed. Who uh, who's your any, next I, player you want to talk about? Um, I think I just talked. I picked Ricard. Do you want me to go again? <laughs> oh no, I, I can I can go. Uh, Duvernay, we talked a lot about a little bit in the first show, but I really hope they expand his usage. The absence of his usage is just one of the glaring holes from this. Seven plays. Now, we did say in the first show that that may have been a hide the playbook. And when we thought back to week five last year, which is I think when they played the Bengals in, and beat them at home, uh, Duvernay was one of the real big offensive stars in that game. And, and I'd rather Duvernay be getting the looks over Aguilar, quite frankly. And from a cap allocation standpoint, I mean, Aguilar is nice depth, but Duvernay has shown to have the speed and the impact. Um, I agree with you. I hope I hope they find a way to get a role that works for him and find a way to isolate that again. Like, and I think that my point about the lack of intentionality in this game was one putting a bunch of things out so they could see, so Monkey could feel how an NFL coordinator would react to those. So now he's he start to, to see some of this stuff, and two to see how defenders are playing Lamar when he, when Monkey's actually calling the game. Because I think it's different, right? Like, it's one thing to watch a game on tape, to watch what happened, and to walk away with a set of results. And it's a totally different thing to be the person initiating what happened, having a feeling about what the reactions were, knowing your reasons behind doing it and what you were looking for, and trying to glean something from that. I think you can learn a lot more from that, and I think you can make adjustments more from that. I thought, I've already mentioned, I thought there were a lot of adjustments of the Ravens trying to attack up the sidelines on kind of like that deep two-thirds of the field. Mm -hmm. I think the Ravens have to, and I think Duvernay can help them do this. The Ravens have got to find a way to spread this field out vertically. Uh, consistently, the reason we have not seen Lamar get some of these long runs that we have, we, we saw early on, was one, because teams have made adjustment, but two is because they still are squeezing everybody into that 15 right. yards Absolutely. of the line of scrimmage and closer. Make, make them run up the field with them. Keep Mark Andrews and Bateman at 18, 15 to 18 yards and run two guys over the top of that every play. I, I would have no problem with that. Yeah. I, I, and I, it's like two, two vertical routes on every play is a, is a, is a dream in terms of, you know, deriving a lot of safety attention or taking a lot of safety attention. I just think it has to be Zay Flowers because Zay Flowers absolutely demands two man coverage. You, 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 if you cover him man on man, you do so at your own peril with his suddenness. Doesn't matter that he's not the greatest route runner. He just you you don't know what his next move is going to be, even though he's not trying to juke you, and he's too fast when he, when he makes a cut on you. So I I, I like that. I I, I want to see them um, use Duvernay as the gadget guy for that reason. Is that he, he makes much more sense to have a second guy who has a lot of speed around the line of scrimmage doing some of the things you want with wide receiver screens, with jet motion, with all the crap that they, that they want to run to, to, you know, keep a, a team like Cincinnati or any team for that matter, honest, 
um, while they're also trying to to, to peel the top of the, off the defense with Flowers, who I think is going to be the effective weapon at doing that. Well, yeah, I mean, let's talk about, say, Flowers. I mean, what? And it, I mean, the Ravens have finally they've finally done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> finally hit on that that wide receiver draft pick um, immediately and making an impact right away. You talked about it. I think I think. And again, maybe some of this intentionality piece is how they use these pieces, right? Like we're clearly trying to use flowers underneath, breaking off routes, keeping it under. And so when they feel like they have the shots to go over the top, or maybe it's the right combination. I mean, Cincinnati next week is two completely new safeties to those systems. Two, and regardless of what you think about the new safeties, big, it's a big drop off to lose Jesse Bates to anybody. Jesse Bates, yeah, that's a lose. Von Bell, I thought played exceptionally well in their strong safety spot, um, or for I mean, whichever, however you want to kind of allocate the safeties these days. Um, they were the right safeties for the way they used to run that system. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Ravens and I'm Todd Monkey and I want to figure out a way to pressure those guys in particular in this upcoming game, I think that the Cincinnati corners are not great. I, up the field and attacking them with these receivers, um, I mean, they, the Ravens have put the league on notice that they're going to use A Flowers and they're going to use them a lot. Now they have to take advantage of that and watch teams react to it and find a way to attack it. Yeah, this is, this is an interesting game because Cincinnati is one of the teams where I don't entirely trust going over the middle of the field and trying to exploit between level two and level three. They have Logan Wilson is one of the best coverage linebackers in the league. And they paid him a lot of money now, uh, appropriately. So I think if you're looking for a three down unicorn, he's your guy uh, who can do a lot of the things you want in coverage as a linebacker. And, uh, and I think he presents a lot of challenges for, for the Ravens uh, for certainly for a tight hand heavy team uh, guy always knows where the ball is in the air. You, you know, they're playing zone defense against Lamar He's got his eyes on the quarterback, and he's he's a magnet for the ball. But uh, but anyway, I, I I agree. I think going to the outside against this team is is potentially an area of exploitation that they sh- they should take. And Zay Flowers, the thing that I liked probably most about this was his ability to make people miss after he had the ball in his hands. You know, that was just a a, a kind of a cool thing. They they overplayed their hand in terms of what they had with Flowers and making him miss tackles. And he still made enough happen. We saw it in the preseason. We saw four in this game miss tackles. And then he gets caught for minus three and minus six on the last couple offensive plays because, you know, they just overplayed their hand a little bit with regard to that. But uh, I, I do want to see them, you know, Duvernay can can cause some of that missing. Uh, and Duvernay has very good hands to handle all of the, uh, you know, fumble risk that's attended with gadget plays that can really hurt you. But the, the, just want to see flowers down the field more where if he gets a, a catch in open space, uh, you know, between level two and level three, it's, it's a very high probability. It might say very high. It might be a 25% chance of a touchdown right there. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. It's, this is going to be, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I'll, they continue to use him, but he's exciting, 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 exciting. All right, we have two questions in the mailbag. I thought we'll get to, and then we'll uh, uh, we'll call it here. But uh, one is from Mark Horton, who says, "For the offensive show, I'd be really curious about the possibility of Duvernay in an expanded wide back role, given J.K.'s injury and wide receiver depth." And I had a little discussion with him as that, and I said, "Do you mean pony backs and possibly lining up in the backfield?" And he says, "Yep, I'm thinking of Debo slash Patterson type snaps, especially the way Monken wants to get the ball to the perimeter." I've seen him do plenty of stuff from jet motion, but not often uh, line up in the backfield. He did actually, I think, line up in the backfield once last year. Might have been two years ago, but I thought it was once last year. 
and he did take substantial running back snaps in college, according to Mark. I, I did not know that, but uh, but I'll, I'll take his word for it. We've just had a discussion about this. Are you averse at all to DuVernay lining up in the backfield? Now, you mentioned, I think in the first part, that you didn't think the coaches would be okay with it. Yeah, I don't think the coach – I'm totally fine with it. I think that if they think that it's something that he can do, to let him do it. I think that – I just don't see it happening with his coaching staff. <laughs> I think that they're they're too um, – they're too desirably um, – uh, traditional at from time to time, especially about running back. All right. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. And since a lot of times we can't figure out what the reason why a player like Tyson Williams or like him doesn't get a chance, it may be mesh point related, or it may be something else that is not visible to us that is happening in practice that is driving of coaches nuts that they, they just can't seem to correct. So anyway, but, I know but, for a gadget, but for a gadget guy, that shouldn't be an issue, right? Right. In a, in a gadget situation, if that's how they're going to use him, I think, you know, I think it's worth them taking a look. Yeah. Got one other question. This is from Minion Hunter. Minion Hunter, thanks a lot. Always appreciate your, uh, uh, your thoughts uh, on this. But what happened to Isaiah Likely? Why a worse grade than Kolar on PFF, who dropped a pass, uh, and was likely put in the doghouse for the special teams penalty? Yeah, I just thought he looked flat and unexplosive. Um, and even in even in so we saw him catch that ball on the bootleg. And I don't know if I don't can't remember what game it was last year where he juked a bunch of guys from Tennessee out of their out of their pads. But it was a very similar thing where he caught the ball in the flat, was running right like left to right towards the sideline, was able to use his athleticism to beat it. And in this game, I think I mentioned it earlier on the the same similar trying to play did, didn't even try to take a move. And the guy and the defender just put him down with ease. Um, so I, I don't know. Something to me says that likely wasn't fully healthy either. So that that may well be true. The penalty was just a false start on a punt on a fourth and nine at the forty-four. Moved it back to the thirty-nine yard lines. I wouldn't consider that to be a particularly serious penalty, but. You know, and I mean, no penalty is good, but a, but a false start being a pre-snap penalty means the, it didn't accrue. There's no option which accrued to the other team from that penalty. So if if you if you have a five-yard penalty, any kind of a defensive foul that allows them to make the choice of re-kicking the football or it's a tack-on penalty, otherwise, that's a much more serious penalty than a false start penalty in that case. He he got had his reception on the second play of the game where he caught a little four-yard pass. Daryl Stingley took him down at 14-22 of the first quarter. And he didn't see the football again. He played 46 snaps, and I guess it was 44 more after that play and you know wasn't targeted. It just does not say good things about what was happening. And by the way, it wasn't like he was um, kept into block on a ton of plays. And I'm going to try to the total number of chip blocks and set blocks in this game for likely was only two, both chip blocks. In fact, mm. one of the one of the chip blocks came on his reception, so he, he, <laughs> he had a chip block, and then he went out for a little dumpy little route and caught a four yard ball. So, you know, it's not like he was unschemed as a receiver here. Uh, let me see if that matches up. Now, we'll try, I won't take the time to do it. I want to see if it matched up to PFF's number of routes run, um, but that, I wouldn't be able to tell that necessarily because the because uh, yeah, I would I would be able to tell from that. But anyway. I, unfortunate game from likely. I don't know why he was out of the offense. I wish he had been more, 
but there are not a lot of footballs to go around. And when you only throw the ball, when you only have 26 pass plays and you only get 22 passes off, you know, there's just not a lot of opportunity to, to get players involved. Yeah. I, I think, I think at the end of the day, that's what it was. There wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot of options and it wasn't part of the game plan. So maybe that, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm criticizing the Ravens for not being as intentional, but like not looking to the tight ends and not throwing to the tight ends might not have been part of the game. And maybe they thought that Houston was going to be overcommitted to that part of the game. And that's why they weren't throwing there. All right. Outstanding. Thanks for the mailbag question, guys. We're going to do this, this uh, section as often as we can during the regular season, hit it up with pound sign film study mailbag, anytime between the, between the offensive and defensive show. I've been lax in getting these done oftentimes because these conversations go very long, but we really value the mailbag questions and I really enjoy them. Uh, and I want to make sure I get to them when I, when we can Jordan, thanks again for doing this. Just outstanding to talk football with you again. It's great to have football season back and, and part of the catharsis after all these injuries uh, that the Ravens suffered in week one, the fact that it feels like a loss is getting to have two really high quality conversations, one with Gordon McGinnis and then uh, tonight with you uh, about the offense. Oh, appreciate that, Ken. Always, always happy to have the conversation and you know, the injuries are a little bit of a black cloud and it felt like the, the team didn't play great, but at the end of the day, we're talking about a 16-point win to start the season, a dominant defensive performance. I know we weren't talking about the defense on this call, but OA seems like he might be turning the corner into being the guy that they want him to be. And if they get that from him, I think this is going to be a very menacing team from a defensive perspective, no matter what happens with the offense. Yeah, lots to love. I felt the same about Clowney, by the way, with a lot of pressures that supported other sacks and, and quarterback hits. But uh, tell folks where they can find your work online, how they can contact you. Yeah, you guys can find me on uh, Twitter at Raven Sit Room. Um, got a podcast with my co-host Gabe Ferguson. He's at Gabe Fergie. We're trying to do a quick early reaction and some hot takes maybe about the game. Get, a, get, get some of those emotions out early um, and then coming back later in the week on Thursday, breaking down the game, finding out what we thought about those hot takes, talking about some key plays and key things that we saw on film that, that might make a difference in the, the upcoming week. All right. Outstanding stuff. Gabe, Gabe and Jordan are not only great football people, but we went to the Las Vegas game and they're a lot of fun to shoot craps with as well. So if, if you get right. a chance, make sure you do that. Jordan uh, is a personality, I will say, in various Las Vegas casinos that uh, that's entertaining in its own right. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, please hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I want to hear from you. I want to have that discussion. And I promise to get back to you uh, very quickly. Uh, with regard to that. And and uh, there'll be plenty of time during the season, even for some odd shows that we want to get in with a thought experiment, any kind of idea you might have. But if you want to talk about it, don't be shy. Please hit me up. This is how I meet new people and interesting guests and, uh, and uh, had very good success with that this off season. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on film study.